0: to the Academy of General Dentistry podcast series featuring Dr. George Schmidt. Each episode features experts in the field of dentistry who share insights and inspiration to help you succeed. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We've got a fantastic show for you here today as we welcome uh, Doc Martin, Dr. Martin Mendelssohn. Hey, Martin, how are you?
1: Good. How are you, George? Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: I'm doing fantastic. Really looking forward to our our chat this afternoon. Um, Just a little bit about your bio here. Dr. Martin Mendelson is a leading speaker and founder of Metamorphosis Coaching, specializing in team cohesion, communication, and building happier, more productive teams. Dr. Mendelson turned a devastating medical disablement from his clinical career into a passion for helping leaders through the science and mindset uh, of positivity. He has worked with thousands of medical professionals and business leaders from all over North America to feel less burdened by leadership, empowered to resolve challenges before they grow out of control, and create transparent and open cultures where leaders and team members excel, thrive, and love. With the certifications in executive coaching, team coaching facilitation, emotional intelligence, and happiness studies, he's spent almost 20 years working with leaders to become happier and more fulfilled. His insights have been featured in nearly a dozen podcasts, He has been featured in voyage Phoenix shout out to uh, Arizona magazines as a standout, uh, thought leader as a team facilitator and speaker. He can uh, help any team or business lead, uh, remove the burdens of leadership via his team approach to create meaningful transparency, engagement, aligning, and mindset. And he's a faculty, a resident spear faculty member. And many of our audience may see him or have seen him out there at, at Scottsdale. It's one of the spear courses. And, uh, He's just a he's just a fantastic uh, all around uh, brilliant guy, and we have so many things we can talk about, Martin. Uh, but I'm really impressed with that.
1: Well, thank you. I it's my life journey. I I we all have our journeys, and I've been on mine, and I've certainly had some dark days, but I've also had some days full of sunshine. So it's a give and take.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the one of the really positive things is that you've taken some of those and you you've created the ability to share that with others and and, and share your journey. And, and talk and help, help the dental profession. And, you know, when, when I was doing this, I, I looked back through many of the courses and you've got some fantastic courses uh, that I hope many of the listeners uh, can get a chance to uh, participate with. But one of the courses you asked the question, why are some people more effective in communication than others? And I think that's so important because communication after all is so important in all that we do, whether it's interacting with our staff or whether it's treatment planning and case acceptance and all that.
1: So, so what are you? what's the answer to that? It's a great question. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that we as dentists often ascribe effort to a hand skill in terms of learning and really embracing that skill. So we look at hand skills and what we would consider, and I'll use this with air quotes, tangible skills as things that we need to uh, uh, go after, learn and take time to embrace. So often when I talk to dentists, I say, how long did it take you to do a crown prep in dental school? How long does it take you now? So <laughs> there, there is no difference with a verbal and communicative skill as there is a tangible hand skill. The only difference is you're learning something with your hands versus learning something with your brain and your mouth. And so often weekly, frankly, I get approached by friends and colleagues saying, hey, help me deal with this you say things much better than I do. No, I don't, I've just practiced them. <laughs> and so it's it's a journey that I've been on to hone these skills and to understand the psychology of how people think and how people interact to better myself and my communications with others to move my relationships forward.
0: So, so what do you suggest for folks? Because a lot of people feel that way. They just don't think they're a good communicator and you're saying, well, practice and so on and so forth. What are some of the, what are some exercises maybe, or some things, some pointers you could give folks to get better at that?
1: Absolutely. It's a great question. So one of the books that completely changed my life was a book called Crucial Conversations. And Crucial Conversations gives you a framework of how to approach any difficult conversation by starting with the facts. So many times we are so emotionally driven when the stakes are high, we actually get in our own way. And oftentimes in my presentations, my keynotes, and my coachings, I talk about the research around how this is an evolutionary process that back in the caveman and cavewoman days, we had to, for survival, scan the world for threats, threats to our very existence. So those that were able to do so thrived, those that were not able perished. So, We've been bred literally to scan the world for threats. And because in our society, for most of us, physical threats are not a, shall we say, a thing colloquially, hesitation is viewed or interpreted in our brain as a threat. When we get emotionally charged over something, it's interpreted as a threat. Our sympathetic nervous system takes over. We, we uh, a- exit a conversation. We think to ourselves, wait a minute, what did I say? What did they say? Why did it get heated? Why did I get upset? And Crucial Conversations gives you a methodology, a literal framework of how to approach these conversations differently. The other thing I will say is the power of open-ended questions. And we in dentistry, most of us clinicians were taught the power of open-ended questions, but I've observed over time that so many of us don't really understand how to use those effectively. And the definition of an open-ended question is pretty simple, something that cannot be answered by a yes or no. And so even saying to a friend, a colleague, a patient, how are you doing today versus are you having a good day is a completely different question that opens up the door to dialogue.
0: You know, that is so true, Martin. And I think we've all we've all seen it where, you know, oftentimes the dentist, they, we've got so much knowledge, we've had so much training and we wanna sit there and project and educate and talk to people but we, we oftentimes don't, uh, we forget to do one of the most important things and that's ask an open-ended question so the person can talk back to you. And equally important is listening, right? So I know you've got some comments yeah. on that as well.
1: Yeah, L- listening is not all created equal. and And I teach something that I was trained on in my coaching program, which is the three types of listening, subjective, objective, and intuitive. And so subjective is when you're, completely focused on yourself and you're looking at things through the lens of your own filter. Like somebody says, oh, I just came back from Paris. And your response is, oh, I've been to Paris a bunch of times. I love seeing the Eiffel Tower. Uh, what do you think? And and it just makes it all about you. Objective ends up focusing all on them. So you could answer that question such as, uh, oh, wow, it sounds like you had a really good time in Paris. What was your favorite thing? Whereas intuitive is a way of listening where you're reading between the lines and you're looking for body language and tone of voice. And in coaching circles, when we respond by intuitive listening and people say, yeah, you really get me, we call that an intuitive hit. And so when you're dealing with team members and you're looking at them and they have closed posture and they're looking down and they're talking quietly and they ask you a really simple question, an intuitive answer would be something like, hey, Susie, Johnny, it looks like this is something that's really quite important to you because I can see that your your tone of voice is different and and you're kind of looking down. And I really appreciate that you're bringing this to me. What's really going on here? Whoa, that's a really different interaction that can be taught. It, But it's not, as you said, our first knee-jerk reaction. Our first knee-jerk reaction is to like, fix it. <laughs> Whereas this can take a step back. and And it, it's kind of like, The idea of treatment planning purposefully, if we take the time to treatment plan right, it's gonna save so much heartache and headache and time later. This is the same thing. If we could just take a little bit more time to communicate, it's gonna blow the door open for our ability to communicate, lead great teams, provide great dentistry, the list is endless.
0: Yeah, and I know a lot of what you do focuses on that. And it really is so important. I mean, if you're in any sales situation, and I don't mean sales in a negative way, if you're in any sales situation, you know, the, the other, the person on the other end is just going, they're going to be asking you the open-ended questions and they're going to be listening and they're going to basically react to what you say. And the other good point you made was, you know, in terms of uh, conversation is people love to talk about themselves. Right. So that's the way, that's what you want to do. You want to get that going on there. Um, how about the mindset though? Mindset comes into play here too, right? Mentally and how you, you know, your mindset in terms of whenever you're going into these situations.
1: Mindset is literally and truly everything. Uh, Dr. Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, who's a Holocaust survivor, neurologist, and psychiatrist who survived the horrors of Auschwitz. I often quote him in my keynotes where he says, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our freedom to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. The truth of the matter is, is that every single thing we encounter in our lives is neutral. It is the thought that we put to that event and that encounter that drives an emotion that then drives an action that then manifests our results. And that's where I spend most of my time in one-on-one coaching and with teams to get them to understand that what your filter is telling you when you approach any given situation may not necessarily be really what's going on if we're telling ourselves stories based on a situation that honestly We've just made up in our head.
0: Yeah, let's back up here a minute. You mentioned teams before, so I don't want I don't want to I want to spend a minute on that because it's so important nowadays. Yeah. You know, it's so crucial our staff, especially with the challenge that we have with staffing. You know, and oftentimes as a leader of the practice, you're put into a situation where you have to interact with the staff and talk to them. So you know, give us some pointers as to how to approach those situations, maybe even when they become sort of emotionally, there's some emotion involved, or maybe some tempers
1: involved, how how is the best way to handle that? Sure. So there's a couple different ways. Uh, I will say this. So what I teach is my, and you mentioned this earlier in my bio, it's, it's a framework utilizing the word team as an acronym. And we have our internal team and we have our external team. Internal meaning what goes on between our ears and external being the obvious. So our internal team is all about what we just spoke about, our thoughts lead to emotions, actions, and manifestations. And the external team stands for trust, um, uh, engagement, alignment, and mindset. And so barring additional training barring work working with me to specifically answer your question. How do you deal with these things when when things arise? The the truth of the matter is we need to stick with the facts of the situation. And I had a really great question asked of me the other day about, well, sometimes things are subjective and my response is actually, no, they're not. There's always a fact that we can pick out of the situation, whether it's something someone said whether it's something someone did or didn't do, or it's a, an overt reaction that we can factually describe. Like, I see you're looking down right now. And so ironically enough, going back to the Crucial Conversations idea, the, their framework is to start with facts. So, hey, Susie, I noticed that three times in the last seven days, you've come to the practice at least 20 minutes late a fact we're not making anything up we're not blaming we're not accusing we're not pointing fingers it's just it is what it is then we go into making it safe and this is a big thing that the authors talk about that i very much believe in and it's called using contrasting it's a don't do structure so it might sound something like this susie i don't want you to think we don't value you as a member of our team while at the same time i do want you to understand this is a problem and what can happen at that point is that it opens up the door to things we might not even know about. Maybe Susie or Johnny all of a sudden says, oh, my gosh, doctor, I'm so sorry. My mom's been ill. And you didn't even know that. Well, now all of a sudden the conversation completely changes. Because the more I work with dental teams, the more I see over and over and over again is that people just aren't literally communicating. They are not Sharing what's going on between their ears, and it is to the absolute detriment of our ability to provide great dentistry by not talk it as simplistic as that sound. I never said it was easy, but it is very, very simple at its core.
0: So you mentioned uh, yeah, you you mentioned team, and you've been you know I mean, you know you're 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 a pro at this. you've seen so many different offices and teams would you say the number one ingredient for the successful and great team is that you've seen in your experience? Is, is there one thing that you could point to? Is it a combination of things? Is it the way folks interact? Is it is it the makeup uh, of the staff?
1: I'm going to give you a very simple answer, which is which is communication. Now, when I say communication, I mean open communication. Amy Edmondson talked about the concept of psychological safety, where members of the team feel that they're safe to open and share <clears throat> and receive feedback. And so when I talk about communications, one of the things that I, that I co-create with practices is what's called an alliance. And the alliance is a facilitated literal document of what kind of practice do we want to show up to each day? Descriptive words that, that they give to us how do we want to show up when there are challenges and how do we want to keep each other accountable and so we end up coming up with this really fun document with word after word after word in each category things like honesty with openness with caring uh, i've seen count to 10 take a breath you know those kind of things and the practices also come up with a safe word usually pineapple that's the universal safe word don't ask me why and that ability to have a framework to kind of put a stake in as your North star can open up the doors of communication because it gives the team, and I mean everybody, a safety net to say, pineapple, something's not right right now. I need to talk about this, and so let's do so, whereas before what ends up happening is something happens, we create a story in our head, we don't say anything, we harbor resentment, then it fosters emotions, it fosters actions, and then the next thing you know, people aren't talking to each other. And if we start talking to each other, it will actually stop us from not talking to each other, as silly as that might sound.
0: I guess communication is key, and sooner rather than later is when I'm getting out of this as well, right? You don't want to let things kind of fester around. You've got to to hit this thing right away. And so obviously, you're in favor of morning huddles and meetings and things of that nature, recommendations along those lines, or it, or can you give um, sort of, I don't know about a statistic, but those that do and those that don't, I'm sure yeah. it's a great of a successful practice.
1: So I'll answer that a couple of different ways. Yes, I'm very much in favor of a morning huddle because it goes to the obvious answer of communication. It goes to the obvious answer of business effectiveness, practice effectiveness, clinical effectiveness. What I will also say is this though, there's a lot of research on how what we focus on creates our own reality. And so I often joke about, hey, remember the last time you bought a new car new to you or new off the showroom floor, and you start driving around town, you start to notice all the same or similar make and model vehicle that magically appeared out of nowhere that wasn't there the day before. There's a name for that. It's called frequency bias or the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. So what you focus on, you will see. So as critical as morning huddles are, if all we're talking about are the exceptions, the problems, the anticipation of problems? What are we going to see throughout the day? We're going to see those problems. And the science of gratitude, and that could be three more additional hours, which obviously we're not going to deep delve too deep into that today. But let me say this. The research on gratitude is undeniable. And starting the day with gratitude for ourselves or something someone did the day before, one of our patients, will allow us to focus in a different way. They've done research with diagnosed depressed patients where they've asked them to write down three things a day they were grateful for, for seven days and stop. And even six months later, they're reporting greater levels of happiness and lower levels of depression than the control group that maintain themselves on meds. And so this is real. Having the morning huddle is critical. What we focus on, we create. And yeah, let's focus on a little bit of gratitude to to allow us to see that. I think the one other thing I'll I'll say is this: uh, there's something called the Lazada line or the Lazada ratio, and it was looking at how positive feedback versus negative feedback affects teams. And there's a little bit of controversy in this in this research, but here's what I'll say: the authors determined that, yeah, stating, you know, paging Captain Obvious, we need to focus more on the positive reinforcement than the negative reinforcement. They proposed a three to one ratio, positive to negative, because if all we're doing is ever criticizing the good, the, the bad stuff, what do you think people are going to think? Oh, the doctor's never happy. I can never do anything right. And so focusing on the gratitude stuff, giving the compliments, positive and constructive are both important.
0: Absolutely. And what? So, how about some advice when the, when the morning huddle starts going off the rails and people are like, okay, uh, you know, it turns into one of those uh, sessions.
1: Uh, yeah. So, what I would say is really high quality huddles truly have an agenda to them in terms of what we need to accomplish. And really good, effective morning huddles should only be 15 minutes or less, no more. So, The answer to that would be, hey, Susie or Johnny, it sounds like this has a lot of energy for you. This has a lot of concern for you. Let's make sure that we bring this up or discuss this at our next weekly or monthly meeting that I certainly hope you're having. And so it's addressing it. It's uh, acknowledging and validating the individual's feelings. So to be a little bit more specific, it might sound something like this hey, Susie or Johnny, it sounds like that has a lot of energy for you. Somebody that is a member of our team would certainly want to make sure that this works well for a patient. So that makes sense. Let's make sure office manager or if we're keeping track ourselves that we make a note, that we cover this at our next meeting, and then cover it at your next meeting. The worst thing you could do is is go out of your way to acknowledge and validate and say, we're going to talk about it, and then not, because then people aren't going to bring things up in the future.
0: And uh, an agenda is key to any meeting. But so what about who, who should lead the meeting? Should the doctor always lead this meeting? Or is this something that you have seen delegated to a key staff member? I mean, you know, we've all seen the facts where the You know, the dentist comes in with his hair disheveled with a cup of coffee, you know, five minutes to eight and, you know, the meetings already been going on for 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. It is practice by practice dependent because there are doctors that don't even have office managers. There are doctors that have office managers that they delegate almost everything to this. I mean, it, it really needs to be office dependent. I am a big believer, though, in uh accountability and ownership and so i don't see any reason when we have a definitive agenda we've locked this down we have our rhythm i have i see no reason why we can't do a round robin within the team because then it also gives the team an understanding and an insight into what it takes to actually run a practice at least from a morning huddle perspective to give them a little insight so that they don't make certain assumptions about things yeah,
0: You know, and all the things that you talked about sort of a, is a great segue to the next, the, one of the next programs you give, and that's about habits and how they can make or break your business. Now, this is what I actually want to see. I want to go to this. I haven't seen it, uh, <laughs> but it's so important, right? I mean, habits, you make them and you break them. Um, talk to me a little bit
1: about that. Yeah. Well, you're in luck because if if you're going to be at uh, the California Dental Association in May in Anaheim, uh, I'm giving this presentation along with three others. Uh, so, you know, I invite everybody to come see me in uh, in Anaheim. Actually, one of which is going to be live streamed. I think the habits one is actually going to be live streamed. So, whether you're in Anaheim or not, you'll be able to see this presentation. What what caught my eye, believe it or not, which many people don't know, is that the habit loop that. Some of the listeners may have heard of before, which is comprised of the Q routine and reward has a dental origin and it has everything to do with, uh, Claude C. Hopkins looking to sell Pepsodent toothpaste around world war one. And so believe it or not, only 7% of Americans had a tube of toothpaste in their me- medicine cabinet around world war one within a decade because of his work, 65% or more had a tube of toothpaste in their bathroom. How did he do that? He went on a marketing campaign to get people to understand that when they get up they want to have that clean uh tongue feeling, you know, and they had these pictures of you know a tongue running across teeth and having a clean mouth feeling so he got people to understand the cue is when you get up, the routine is brushing your teeth, and the reward is that uh i think I misspoke it's passing the tongue test where <laughs> your your teeth feel clean your tongue so I very much love the book uh, by James Clear, uh, Atomic Habits. And so what he talks about is habit integration or habit stacking as he calls it versus habit addition. And, I, and this is really important within dental practices because if we're looking to bring something else into a given process, like for example, uh, do we want to talk about care credit in the checkout process after a new patient consult as an example, what's the cue? What are we specifically going to do, and what's the reward? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about a financial reward for the team, but maybe in certain circumstances, that would be applicable. The concept here is is that we want to think about what it is we're looking to bring in and why we're looking to bring it in. How is it going to benefit us? Then let's sit back and think, okay, at this point in the discussion, procedure, consultation, this will be introduced with this verbal skill methodology process what have you so that we can then therefore achieve the reward and so so often i see practices they're they're looking to add things in and they're looking to throw the baby out with the bathwater it's like no 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 if you look at a team member and say look we're going to ask you to add something to your plate like good luck with that but if you look at them and say hey look we're looking to think about integrating this because it's going to be able to do this for our patients Let's talk about how we can do that within what we already do. It's a real slight nuance, but it's a completely different discussion. Great advice. Fantastic.
0: So listen, um, congratulations. You've got a fantastic article out in Dental Economics. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to mangle the title a little bit, but I know it's about optimizing for success. And so that's good stuff. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> the title is uh, how optimism can impact diagnosis, treatment planning, and financial success. And uh, they they subtitled it, uh, which at first when I saw it, I was like, really? But I love it. It's a, quote, disabled dentist perspective. And I am a disabled dentist. I lost everything 20 years ago and have recreated and recrafted and navigated to this different life that I lead today. The truth of the matter is, is that positivity increases brain function. Positivity increases our visual cortexes. Uh, effectiveness. It increases our physical performance and it allows us to express gratitude and yield different results. And so basically what I go through is assertions of how it can increase these factors and how that can actually impact your practice as a dentist. I'll, I'll just give you one quick example. Schmitz And by the way, there's like 11 different references in this one small article. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Schmitz did an experiment where they had individuals primed to be positive, individuals primed to be negative, and they were shown the same photographs. The individuals primed to be positive saw the primary image in the foreground and all the detail in the background. The ones primed to be negative saw the primary image in the foreground and missed a lot of detail in the background. Kind of important when we're talking about treatment planning, isn't it? Patient presents with a fractured incisal edge number nine, we're just going to fix it or why did it break? And so having a positive mindset, which by the way, doesn't take much, even just thoughts of a really happy day, your favorite movie, spending time with loved ones, just those simple thoughts can cause our brain to work more effectively. And the list goes on and on. In the article, I talk about school children and I talk about depressed patients, writing down things they're grateful for this stuff. If if we want to call ourselves evidence-based clinicians, then we need to start paying attention to this stuff.
0: Yeah. Really great article. Great read. And, uh, you know, hats off to you because you, you really did reinvent yourself and you've done an amazing job. You know, you had that, that injury, of course, and, you've come back and you've created so much good stuff for the, for the good of the, the good of the, um, uh, the field of dentistry and, and that, and that's really good stuff. Um, so we're almost out of time, but I, I want to give you a few minutes to share your contact information. And I, I, especially want you to throw your Instagram out there where sometimes we can see, I think Sonny and Doc on there, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. I I have a little, uh, Min Pin Chihuahua mix named Sonny. And I tend to do videos every month, just holding him like a baby. And he just sits there. It's, Quite comical, actually. So some of the best ways to get in touch with me, my website is very simple. It's just my name, uh, martinmendelson.com. The Instagram handle is docmartinempowers. And LinkedIn that I'm very active on, uh, you can just find me by my name. I actually have a newsletter on LinkedIn. I'm I'm almost at 7,000 subscribers to my newsletter. I publish that once a month uh, typically on, on areas of optimism and science and mindset and the way to look at things differently.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and also, uh, I know you're, I know, as I said earlier, you really active in Spear, you're a faculty yeah. a fa- resident faculty member. Yeah. So you're going to be out there. I think in June, they're having their yes. the, uh, Spear summit is in June. Right?
1: Yes. Yes. I will be at the helm as the MC as I have been since 2012, believe it or not. Um, I, you know, I, I can't speak enough about what Spear means to me, what Spear has done for the dental community. And it's like anything else, education without actions, entertainment. And for those individuals that truly engage with what Spear teaches and engage with even the online platform, because my goodness, Spear has one of the largest, if not the largest online platform in dentistry that's for the clinician, the team, patient case acceptance, like interacting with that stuff alone pays dividends, not just for practice success, but what about getting the patients what they want? Because they're coming in with their own preconceived notions. And so let's show them a video about benefits and consequences of their condition before we even start talking about treatment uh, options. And so that's when we get people's attention, just cluing in on, hey, we care about you, this is what you got. If you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. Oh, and oh, by the way, yes, Mrs. Jones, you want to hear about what we can do for you? Great. Let's talk about it. And so it's just, it's a great institution. I feel so very blessed and proud to have been a part of it for well over a decade now. And yeah, anybody who's, anybody who's coming to a summit at the JW Marriott in June, I will certainly be there with, of course, my bow tie on. So yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Your, your, your signature bow tie. Yes. Uh, so that's really good stuff. And I also want to mention that, uh, you know, you, you threw out a lot of good information. You've got a lot of fantastic courses. And if you do uh, reach out to Dr. Mendelssohn, uh he's got a fantastic speaker packet and some really good um, uh, videos and stuff like that on there. So if you want to look, look them up, go ahead and do that. But as I said, I'm Martin. We're out of time. Really fantastic. So happy to have you on the program. Really, really glad to have you on. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, I also want to thank our producer, Kristen Gover. Uh, and if you like what you heard, please like and subscribe to our channel. You can always find us on the AGD app, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. And if you have any suggestions, questions, concerns, or comments, you can contact us at news at AGD.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.